Hey there, welcome back to Brass Tacks, our video series on your toughest questions for taking ideas and putting them into action. I'm Nicola Chin, founder of Up With Community, and I'm here today with Professor Kimberly Simmons, professor at University of Southern Maine's Women and Gender Studies program. Kim, I have been learning from you about feminism, about misogyny, about patriarchy for the last two years, really, and I've appreciated the time that you've given me on that. Um, it's really helped develop my thinking, and I'm starting to use more of that in my work. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I wanted to sit down together and talk a little bit um, with our brass tacks community about uh, how these concepts really impact the change that we're trying to make in the world. But before we do that, tell us a little bit about what you're up to in the world. Well, I um, am, I teach at women and Gen at, in Women and Gender Studies at USM. I mostly am teaching intro, but I teach uh, women in social change, yeah. social movements, those kinds of Great. classes, which is really fun. Yeah. And then uh, I am working with the Women's March Portland yeah. on trying to build that and with the Maine Women's Lobby. Yeah. Uh, and I have two daughters um, <laughs> that I still love to parent. <laughs> you, you're busy. Yeah. You're busy, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, Kim, I have to tell you, I think for a long time, I could not give a succinct definition of feminism. Uh, I think I saw a lot about feminism in the world. Uh, I was exposed to other people's ideas about what it was, but I didn't really take the time to come up with a definition for myself. So I'm curious, like, what is your starting point? for how to define feminism. Yeah. Not that there's one definition. Right. I mean, I think that that's fair. <laughs> there are there. multiple yeah. um, pathways. Yeah. And so I think, you know, feminism at its base is about liberation and freedom yeah. for all people, including people who are women. Yeah. Uh, but underneath that, for me, the two places are simultaneously trying to think about how we raise the value of the work in the world that's coded as feminine. Mm -hmm. So things that are nurturing, about care, about empathy, about emotion, um, to the extent that we don't value that because it's considered part of what it is to be to be in the zone of women, I think it's important we figure out how to how to change that because we actually really need those values to make our communities work. And then at the same time, releasing people who are called women, and that boundary or category can change um, from being consigned to doing that, or somehow the assumption that it's natural that people who are women know how to do women's work. And so for me, those two things are always happening at once. I can't, one without the other feels distorting. And I remember when you first told me this definition like two years ago and like my brain got like stuck a couple of different yeah. times. Because a very different way, like what you're really talking about is, is how we show up in the world, how we interact with each other in the world. And these ways that are visible and invisible or explicit or implicit of coding. Yes. Right? Things as feminine or not feminine. And I was like, oh, I need to like look at the world totally differently in order to see this. Um, because so often I've been taught to think about feminism as like equality with men. Right. Right? Yeah. Doesn't talk about the gender binary. Doesn't talk about, doesn't really actually allow us to talk about misogyny. Right. Right? All it really says is when we've got the same thing men have, then we're all good. Right? And, and that's just not... Right. And these categories yeah. are so big, like different than some other ways of organizing around identity. Who are men? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> men is too big of a category and yeah. women is such a big yeah. category. And so there's so much difference within those yeah. spaces, yeah. like equality yeah. among with which men, in what yeah. way, you know? Yeah. So I think yeah. that that is a shorthand that's useful sometimes. Like yeah. when there's really clear 
moments of like active discrimination, you know, when the women's soccer team's not paid as much as the men's soccer team and it feels apples to apples, mm -hmm. that's a useful, you know, description. But there's, there's, not lots, there's a lot of places that it doesn't serve us. And I think where you really started to change my thinking was looking at the feminine, mm -hmm. because that also then opened up this whole way that I could stop thinking about the gender binary. Yes. Yeah. Because there are so many different gender expressions, gender identities that fall under the feminine or not cis male, you know, masculine, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it allowed me to really see the ending of the gender binary, not as this threat to all the things that I love about being a woman, mm -hmm. but really this freedom and this liberation. And the invitation, and yeah. you have a son. Yeah, I do. You know, <laughs> I think there's a lot of feminist work being done around how much being constricted to denying the feminine mm -hmm. is really, really harmful for people called men yeah. or people who identify as men, including trans men. You know, that if that includes having to kill off yeah. anything that is associated with emotion yeah. or with friendship or relationship or care, yeah. that's like not good for them. Yeah. But, you know, and you work the organization Boys to Men does just mm -hmm. around trying to bring, bring that value. Yeah, of actually boys' mental health, rates of violence, violence against self, violence against others are so often connected to if anything is, you know, feminine in their presentation they're bullied and seen as not fully men. Right. And those are traps that are yeah. Yeah, bad for all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I think the definition, I've also been thinking a lot about, because again, there are multiple definitions, is the one that Leslie Hill offered me a few weeks ago from Bell Hooks, which I had probably read like 20 years ago yeah. and forgotten, right. right? Which is feminism as the movement to end sexist oppression. Yeah. And that starts getting some of my political gears rolling, yeah. right? Well, and I think that's really important for thinking about collective identity. Because again, that who are women is such a contested question. Yeah. We don't have a biological definition of that category. So I think when I talk to students about, well, why would we maintain the category women? Like if, we, if it doesn't really mean anything, it's because we have all this historical experience of sexism. So how will we have this the language to address that if we don't have some collective identity to describe it? Yeah. So yeah. really rooting to the response to inequality is, is and it makes it active. Yeah, yeah. And, and for me, in the understanding of a movement to end sexist oppression, we're really centering a conversation about power. Yeah. So what's really interesting when I, when I talk to people about feminism, and especially when I talk to them about misogyny, and we'll get to misogyny yeah, in a minute, they talk to me about people's beliefs about women mm -hmm. or individual people's experiences in the economy. Yes. Right? And, and uh, yeah, that one moment where this person is clearly not getting paid the same as this person. And what we're not seeing is like the system of power that's actually restricting our behaviors all the time. Right? Yeah. Well, and I mean, this is a little bit of a side, but I have been thinking lately about how powerful the anti-feminist movements are. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they don't exist with agency right. too. Right. <laughs> you know, and so they're constantly working to co-opt mm -hmm. feminism, to make fun of it, to make us feel uncomfortable with it, to distance us from the powerful part of working together. And so I think there's a lot of um, a lot of ways that it's really hard to to talk about feminism as a political effort mm -hmm. that isn't confusing or doesn't include mis like 
I think that's on-purpose right. mistakes about the history. And I think we see like really chilling examples of this, yes. right? You know, we've had different debates here in Maine um, in our legislature for legislation that would really help everyone, but that may be focused on issues that impact people who identify as women. And, you know, there have been women standing up I think pretty much all of them Republican, but it's not about that political mm-hmm. party standing up to say, well, I'm fine, so I don't need this bill anymore. Yes. Right? Yeah. Right. My individual experience is OK, so we don't need systemic change. And I think for anti-feminist movements, that is the powerful candy they're trying to yes. sell. Right. Or like sure. you're OK. And look, you're doing so much better than your mom, right? That's often the thing. Yes. Like, look how hard your mom or your grandma had it. Now you're okay. Well, and also yeah. we might make it a little dangerous for you. Yeah. If you that's if true. you want freedom and liberation, like yeah. we're gonna make that choice kind of dangerous. But if you're willing to work within the zone, we'll provide a little bit more protection. And so um, it makes me think about you know with the suffrage centennial. Mm-hmm. Some of the most powerful anti-suffrage speakers were women who had that sense of losing the protection of the patriarchy is going to not like not be as good for me. I'll give up creative freedom and, you know, full liberation in order to know I have a safe place to sleep. Yeah. And we see all these threats of violence against women. And I think that that is a really powerful control mechanism that keeps us from being being always sure it's safe to venture towards, you know, if we could get to ultimate liberation, sure. But we're pretty sure we're going to get attacked on the path there. And that attack isn't necessarily a risk worth taking. Well, let's just talk about misogyny because we've basically been talking about misogyny. And that's what I really realized is a lot of times when I'm talking about the experience of non-binary folks and people who identify as women, what I'm actually talking about is misogyny. Yeah. And I love that you turned me on to the book Down Girl, yes. which is really this book that we'll put in the notes for the video that really is having us look at misogyny isn't what a human being thinks, or it isn't just what a human being thinks about people who identify as women. It's actually <coughs> the systems of habits, processes, and behaviors that control and restrict everything that is connected to the feminine. Right. Well, I think. And I love her... Um, description of that what it that it's about women as human givers Mm -hmm. and so men are entitled to women's labor and society is entitled to women's labor as women as human givers as a natural state so it is like if i deny you my time then i'm not i'm violating what is natural for me as a woman so i should be punished because i'm not acting in accordance to my natural what is supposed to be my natural state and so a person doesn't have to have a sexist ideology yeah. to swim in that river. Well, that, I mean, a person doesn't have to have a sexist ideology to swim in the river that women should be punished for not fulfilling their human giving. Yeah. It, I'm getting goosebumps because yeah. that's basically like half of the conversations I'm having every week is I'm sitting with someone who feels distressed about not being able to do some inhuman level of giving. Right. Right? Yes. Um, Because there are these distorted patterns and thinking about what they should be giving. Right. And because misogyny is this invisible thing constricting how they are telling themselves they're working and what they're seeing in the world. And so often the reason I want to talk about misogyny is because I think it puts on this somewhat painful light bulb of like, oh, 
I don't have to make 12 cupcakes today, feel bad that I'm tired, and like, you know, I don't have to um, feel bad about that my organization doesn't, doesn't get funded enough money. I can actually step back and see, we're not getting the respect we deserve. I don't have the help and supports I deserve. And I don't deserve these things because I'm tired. I deserve these things because I'm human. Right. Well, and to get really concrete about it. Thank I you. Because I get a little yeah, unclear. too. Because yeah. it is. Yeah. But, you know, it makes me, I think motherhood, and then I'll talk about work in a second, but I think motherhood is a place where it gets so challenging because it's so often like playing chicken. Mm-hmm. It's actually really hard to not see the need met. So we know kids are hungry. And if women are consigned as the ones who are going to fix it, it's really a hard place to be like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to like not do my, you know, part in community if you, you know. And so, so if men are given the permission and we are, I am using binary language, there's a whole other piece. But if men are sort of never called to account Mm -hmm. for like, are you really all right Mm -hmm. with kids in your community being hungry? If it's only mothers who are supposed to somehow, by osmosis, know what to do, but then men then have the time and space to have political power, we have these huge gaps. So then women are like, I'll make 12 more sandwiches, because that's the power like available. And then the political power can say, look at those lovely women who making love to make sandwiches. sandwiches. They're having so much fun making their sandwiches. We don't have to pass a bill to like deal with this. They're on it. And we're like, we're dying. And in this example, it can be people who identify as women, non-binary folks. Like it's it's anybody who's not accessing that kind of Well, yeah. and it actually can be men. Yeah. You know, I think that's the thing about gender. It can be male bodies, yeah. but male bodies or you know, non-binary people. But when we look at cis men who come into these women's spaces, coded women's spaces, they're either super exalted. Like, dude, you know, oh my gosh, you're here making sandwiches. You're so amazing, you know, because it's so special to, to do women's work, like, because they're not natural women, human givers. Yeah. Or they're coded as gay, not real men, like, in some way denigrated for being in the care space and then also isolated. So, you know, in my class, up there was a young man who said, like, I don't really fit a lot of these male coded masculine behaviors, but I suffer a lot of consequence mm-hmm. yeah. for that. Yeah, and what were you gonna say about work? Yeah, so I have from all this reading, cause I'm learning a ton. I mean, there's so much writing happening right now. I wrote, I wrote a, somebody, I wrote a letter complaining about something at work and somebody wrote back, let's have coffee. Mm-hmm. And I realized like, I don't wanna give you more of my time. Mm-hmm. I've written this basically same email about a thousand times. You don't actually care what I think. Mm. Like, do I have to politely, you know, be the checkbox, like where you can say you met with me and then feel disrespected and used? Or do I get to value my own time, you know? And I wrote back, like, I would be happy to to be hired as a consultant. Yeah. Which they will never in a million years do. But that little bit of, I want to reject the capitalist, like all work being commodified. But then in that way... I become the human giver to my institution. And I think this is really tricky in progressive movements so where I think folks 
either have actually never actually studied feminism, mm -hmm. but feel like because they're progressive, they must know it, right? Right? Yeah. Or studied it like 20 or 30 years ago. Yes. And they really don't have like an active analysis of power of what's happening right now, right? right? And it's hard, I mean, I think it's hard for those of us trained because it's a little bit that funny feeling of like, when you, you know, somebody gets their medical yeah. information from Goop, yeah. you're like, no, <laughs> that's not actually, you know, the medicine. medicine. Yeah. And so, yeah, so on the one hand, feminism is for everybody. Right, and that's point of view. Book. I was thinking the same yeah. book. I was like, and if there's one book I would want everybody to read, it's like, start with Feminism is for Everybody by Bell Hooks, and then. <laughs> right, and, but I think that part of, like, people do have very specific personal experiences of gender mm -hmm. that are meaningful, yeah. but that's, that I think, um, Trisha Hill Collins is a social theorist, and she makes the argument about black feminist thought that it's that it has to be both a subjective experience and um, in relation to other to thinking about it. Mm -hmm. That we build theory through reflection, and there has to be reading, yeah. and so it can't just be opinion. Yeah, you know, and that part is hard for people. That feels yeah. exclusive in some way that you know we've yeah. made. Yeah. So I think it is it is contested who gets to say. Well, but, and, and I would say I walked around like that person, yeah. right? I don't think I actually really had an understanding of what feminism was. And, you know, I would say things in a meeting like, oh, you know, don't worry about this. I'm not going to be touchy-feely. Right. Right? Yeah. And you and I had had yeah. this conversation a few weeks ago where I'm rejecting myself on behalf of others, which is something right. that my good friend Kathy Kidman reminds me not to do yeah. very often. Um, where, you know, I have all of these ways that I try to protect other people from the feminine in this work that I really had to stop doing. Yeah. Right? But I can't stop doing that until I stop and reflect. And, and this is something that's really one of the reasons I wanted to talk with you is because when I'm trying to do work on race now, I have at my fingertips a lot of articles that are quite accessible mm -hmm. in their language and in their framing. Um, and I have I, I still struggle to find those feminist articles that are shorter, that yeah. are easier, that doesn't have to be a commitment to the full book. Right. Um, you've been sending some yeah. great ones my way. And I also often find some really great blog posts on everyday feminism. Yeah. I still go yeah. to that blog yeah. really often because they've done a good job of cataloging different topics there. But it is hard because I don't want there to be an intellectualism to the self-discovery. Right. Yeah. But you're right. The self-discovery has to be in relationship to something else, which is why I think like I have to go out of my way to create spaces where we're explicitly talking about feminism misogyny. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think like because, I mean, one thing the Women's March really has brought is a better understanding about sort of thinking about what does intersectionality really mean because it's such a jargon word. But, but that space where we get to be different and have different feminisms that help us understand our particular time and place, you know, so it's different over a lifespan and it's different like over different groups, different ways of being. And then thinking about political agendas based on feminism, how to how to take up the needs of the women who are most directly affected by an issue. So I think there's there's the feminism that helps us understand our own story better. And then there's the feminism to launch campaigns off of. Yeah. And they're connected, but they can be different too. Yeah. So there is a lot. Yeah. Gender's part of every part of our life. Everything involved includes gender. Yeah. No, I think that's really useful. 
And as we're talking, I'm reminded of the feeling I had for all of my 20s and into my early 30s of like, I could hear a little voice in the back of my head saying, you should actually learn something about feminism. It'd probably help you. And feeling so kind of unprepared to deal with the pain. Yeah. That was going to come up at looking at that. Yeah. And I know you've helped a lot of people through making that transition of like, I'm not thinking about feminism to I am thinking about it. Right. And like, what are some of the supports or, you know, what do you offer to people as you see them just wrestling with that pain? Because there was like, you know, for me, there's like 33 years of gunk. Yes. You know, that I also had to just be gentle with, be patient with, grieve. Right throw into the forest and then walk away <laughs> Yeah. before I could get to the point of talking at this level with you. Like literally you would come and meet with me every few months for two years. And I could not have this conversation until like two months ago. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that that's really real on sort of multiple levels. And one is, I mean, I think the consciousness raising groups of the seventies were really important to building that feminist thinking, you know, theorizing because people had each other's, stories and there became some like space of trust and um we're isolated and lonely as you know sort of the bigger the bigger picture of current uh modern life and so that isolation makes it harder to develop a sense of a theory of how gender matters because like who do you talk to um and so i think in some ways it is it is the the book groups and the salons and the like the spaces where people get to meet and just be a little bit more honest about the different kinds of experiences that are connected to gender oppressions and find out like it's and and part of the problem i think is that we got sold the idea that if you were smart enough you know strong enough you could individually uh cross that out. yeah and so if you haven't it's because you're broken in some ways and it's isn't like, that a know, message of misogyny yes <laughs> yes and i just think i got that's what i mean about the other side being strong they were really effective in selling that message to a lot of people. And so it made the movement less strong, like, and it made a lot of people find the way to address any feelings around, around sexism or experiences of misogyny was to move away from identifying as a woman in some way, or I, you know, to, or to take the blame, like to feel, and I do think the Me Too movement is helping us really reflect on, wow, what were the strategies people used when faced with sexual harassment to quit, to you know, hide, to make it somehow okay? So in the Down Girl book, Kate Mann talks about empathy and our over-identifying with the feelings that men have, our placating and worrying about the feelings of men, and in part because it eases violence, the threat of violence, and in part because men narrate all the stories. Yeah. <laughs> so when we only when we're so over disproportionately hearing the stories and voices of men, we just come to identify with that better. Well, and a very patriarchal understanding of education is I need to go to a training or a workshop to be made better, and then I can leave. Right. And then I'm good. Yes. And for me, that's why a part of me was stunted around getting in touch with feminism was because I knew that wasn't how I wanted to learn, and I couldn't really figure out a different way, and it felt so weird I mean, I do this all the time, Kim, but it felt so weird to just say, hey, Kim, would you be my friend and talk to me? Yeah. And that was really what opened it. And with right. another friend, Andrea, too, just saying like, hey, could you tell me about this thing? 
And isn't that such a more feminist way of learning? Anyway, yes. when it talks right. about choice, yeah. right? So one thing that you really helped me understand is feminism is really about choice and choice as a pathway to freedom. And that we're not trying to constrict and create a new constrictive category or location for people. Um, and so really moving away from those trainings was really helpful. I, I think one thing that's hard in the language of choice right now okay. is that also acknowledging Choice is so often artificial. Yeah. Like, it goes back to my, you know, feed the hungry children. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, it's where I fight the most with my spouse. Yeah. Like, it's not actually a choice to leave my kid at school overnight. Yeah. So, yes, I'm going to pick her up on time. Yeah. If that's the only, like, like. That's true. You know, so yes, I have a choice. Well, and choice, and, has, been, well, and choice has been played out as a way for, for like, what I would just call, like, fake feminism. Yeah. So, I, I grew yes. up. I could be what I literally could be whatever I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. I got an education. I could live wherever I wanted. And I did. Right. I lived wherever I wanted. I had a job. I paid my own rent. I paid my insurance. I paid for my food. Yeah. Oh, I had a lot of people helping me. Yeah. Oh, I had a lot of privilege to get there. But there was still this kind of like patriarchal and really white supremacist story of I've made it. And I've made it on my own. And isn't that being a feminist? Right. Right? Yeah. While I was pushing away other people who identify as women and non-binary folks to fit in. Right. To the system that I wanted to fit into. Yeah. Right? And so it was really like both stepping out of that system and then seeking new and different relationships that changed my understanding of power. And I think it's where people really like speculative fiction right now mm -hmm. and science fiction, because it's imagining choices yeah. that aren't actually here yet. Yeah. And then that's where I think choice, like the space mm -hmm. to be fully human yeah. involves being different. Yeah. And so we do need a lot of choices. Like we, we are not trying to accept just another yeah. constricted path. Yeah. But also that recognition, the choices we have now are so limited. That's very true. And so, that's very true. yeah, when you can yeah. make those choices, yeah and not have to stuff a whole part of yourself or cover up a whole part of yourself. Those will be like more real and fuller choices. Yeah. yeah. You know, and the, the last thing I want to speak to you before we go is um, the centering of violence. Yeah. Because that really opened up for me two realizations. You know, one, the idea of feminism I had been living for so long was incredibly classist, mm -hmm. right? and was tied to that white supremacy narrative of you're an individual, you can make it on your own, right? And it really had me shun any understanding of violence, physical, threat of violence, non-physical. Um, and so some of what I've had to do is become more comfortable being able to look at violence mm -hmm. in order to have these types of conversations. And it has helped me see something that I had not been taught, but that for me, it's not that racism is here and 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 sexism is here and somewhere they intersect. Right. But it's that they're actually mutually intertwined and supporting each other and sometimes the same thing. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. Um, and it is that violence that connects them so clearly. Mm -hmm. Right. One book that I'm afraid to read, <laughs> but that Ben read. Um, is called They Were Her Property. Mm -hmm. I always add in a two, mm -hmm. I, but I'm pretty sure the two isn't at the end of it. I'll put it in the notes for the video um, because it talks about white women's roles during slavery. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think it really illuminates the intersection of sexism and racism 
as a shared yes. project. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that I that violence and the, and it's partly the threats of violence. So we don't have to be the specific um, victim or survivor to know that if we transgress, this was then that's yeah. So one way we can protect ourselves from the threat of violence is to stay in the in the box we're yeah. put in. And sometimes that is a box of privilege and involves using violence against other people. And so I do think that the overall feminist imagination is trying to understand, like figure out what would it look like to have a society where there is not, nobody has the right to use violence mm-hmm. to build these social controls. Yeah. And one thing you've taught me is how to give more language to how do we work within the society we have right now and still maintain that imagination? And I think sometimes the place that gets really stuck or hard is how angry we are at ourselves and each other that we haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. And so this kind of blaming of women and blaming of feminism for not having achieved what we aspire to and somewhere in there, in that human giver model, it's all women's fault <laughs> that we like still have racism <laughs> and sexism and heterosexism. Yeah. yeah, and for sure, it's some women's fault. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all of our fault in the way that like we haven't given up, you know, given everything else up to do this work, and like yeah. something in that feels very House of Mirrors. Yeah, you know, in a way of getting us trapped in being blamed and blaming each other and not being able to step out and look for, are there any bigger systems to fight with than you and me? I mean, at the end of the day, feminism, understanding feminism and misogyny for me has been about clear-eyed seeing. Mm -hmm. The courage to see that my heart is as wide as the world, as Sharon Salzberg says, that I can take in what I fully see and that I can find community with others. And just before we close, I want to say, I think one piece around like that connection to violence and self is about using our voices more and speaking what you see Mm -hmm. more often and with more courage. Um, And Rebecca Solnit, you know, who we all love, (laughs) is, has an essay called The Longest War, Mm -hmm. where she connects state violence um, and and, uh, the use of rape as a war tactic all the way through to like, why girls don't talk in class. Mm. And that articulation about voice and silence, you know, I think when when we think about what do we need to support ourselves and each other to do the emotional work of facing the pain, like we need a way to be able to express what's what makes us angry about our experience without being afraid our families will be, you know, somehow we'll get in trouble with our families or with our friends for saying those truths. And we need a place to be able to practice to try out telling a story mm-hmm. that we don't have like have to be so fixed and accountable to you know that forever that's our one story of ourselves yeah. so I think some spaces for play with identity and power mm-hmm. you know you do improv that's a great place like trying on mm-hmm. just different ways of being and noticing oh I never move with that much take up that much space you know man yeah, yeah, yeah. I never take up that much space in the world yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't I? And what would it be like if I did? You know, and then reminding the cis men in our life. Could you ever imagine taking up a little less space? What would that be like? How would that change? Change things. So it's somehow trusting ourselves, like building, having experiences that help us build more courage 
to trust that we know that what we think we know we actually know and then you know daring to make the connection with others yeah Yeah. well thank you kim i appreciated this walk in the woods yeah on a winding road and it is lifelong learning it is the thing i love the most about this work is there's no getting there yeah no 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 the the walk winds and winds and goes up a hill and then you fall down the hill and the the thing you thought you knew wasn't right at all and like that's really fun actually so great great well thank you so much kim i really appreciate it you can find all of our brass text videos on youtube and at upwithcommunity.org This content is provided in part by our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. So I want to take a moment and say thank you to everyone who gives. Not only are we creating a community of adult learners, we're making content and adding to our online resources to be shared across the country. Thanks so much for making that possible. Want to support the work of Up With Community? Visit upwithcommunity.org forward slash support to learn how.